in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm going to be completely honest with you, Jake. I had no idea that um, this particular comic book character was going to be coming back into our lives in such full force with such un- lack of notice, I guess. Yeah, I think I suspected because this guy has been rumored to return for a very long time. Um I mean, I, I don't like know. I don't know how long years. I want to bury the lead. Yeah, no, like before the comic existed almost. Like, I feel like the first movie got out the door and a week later they were talking about rebooting it. And for this thing to really be happening. But this week it got a different level of legitimacy. We've got a star attached and it's somebody with some power, somebody with some recognizability. Is that a word I just stumbled onto? Um, it's a word now. It's happening. It's and we're doing recognizability. It. He's a name. We got somebody in this thing. I'm super stoked. So this is what we're going to do. If you are new to the Watching Comics podcast, welcome. We're happy you're here. If you are not new to the Watching Comics podcast, then you're in the cool kids group. Congratulations. Yeah. So my name is Mitch, co-host of this whole shindig, and the other guy is Jake. He's probably the coolest nerd you haven't met. So that's really how this thing goes. It's it's quite the title. I'm actually getting business cards printed with that on it. <laughs> coolest nerd you haven't met. I think my real legit. job doesn't require business cards. I wear t-shirts to work. <laughs> and see, that's just another reason why you are the best of us. Uh, <laughs> I have... I have business cards at my job and I don't really have to dress formally at my job and we do have casual Fridays, but it is definitely way more formal than your gig. So you're winning. Well, I mean, it's interesting because like you say, you know, the best of us and I didn't realize that the standard for that was owning four suits that you can't find an occasion to wear. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful problem to have as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So spawns the movie. Yeah, so there we are. Spawn is the movie, and we're super stoked about this. So here's basically what we're going to do. This may not be a super lengthy episode, but that's fine because last week was definitely a marathon, but it was great, great content. Super happy on last weekend. But here's the deal with Spawn. We're going to kind of give you a brief little rehashing of the 90s-tastic, spectacularly awful but awesomely wonderful I Can't Look Away movie from 1997. And then we're also going to dish on where it's going to go forward because this is no longer, after 21 years, a rumor. Spawn is officially being rebooted. Contracts have been inked. Money thrown at it. It is happening. So now's as good a time as any to talk about it, right, Jake? Yeah, this is um, – you mentioned this might not be as long an episode, and I, I know I've made that lie before. But um, I also <laughs> – hey, hey, guys, I, I, think, I think this episode will be under three hours, so good. <laughs> it's amazing how much we have to say about movies that don't even have scripts yet. Um, no, I uh, – I, but again, that brings me – I think there's going to be a lot of commonality on this episode with the Venom episode from about a month ago. Um, for a great many reasons. First of all, because we're speculating on a movie that's not been released. It is, um, it's also, I think there's some, some interesting links between the characters that we'll get into. Um, but again, yeah, I think we'll probably get about the same mileage out of this, which I thought that episode got more than we expected. So. Yeah, completely. So, and and I think spawn remains one of those 
characters that is both familiar to quasi comic book novices, but then still has that massive, no pun intended cult following at the same time. Like I feel like spawn is still going with its heart heart with the heart of its fan base. Is that fair to say what you think? Yeah, I think that, um, I, I think you nailed it that like the, the sort of fans who are vaguely familiar with, with comic book characters will, they'll probably see spawn and remember seeing him as I do, on the uh, end caps at Walmart in the nineties. Um, but they might not necessarily know his name. They probably wouldn't be able to tell you much about Malabolgia or, uh, you know, John Leguizamo as the clown, man, I can't wait no. to get to that. I can't wait either, but man, can we just say that so many, I, I don't know. Is there anything in the modern American world that has given us both has given us more simultaneous incredible discovery and bad decisions in Walmart. I mean, I've got about half a wardrobe that testifies to everything you just said. So, yeah. So I, I feel like we can go ahead and write that in stone, right? <laughs> yeah, <Bad>. definitely. <laughs> Add that to Shout our to growing Walmart. list of catchphrases. Yeah, totally. We we're making the world a better place. One crappy pop culture reference at a time. And and can I, speaking of our growing list of catchphrases, this is the first week I think I'm going to get to use something that I said our very first episode and declare the original Spawn movie so 90s it might as well be Pogs. <laughs> oh my gosh. That I forgot, which I shouldn't have forgotten because that is like, Jake, I've known you for over a decade. I've literally known you for like over a decade. And I don't think you have said anything more wondrous than that, at least in our interactions together. Do you know the worst part is I agree with you and I know it and I'm clinging to that moment, much like Spawn. I'm trying to get back there. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the reason we're so excited about Spawn basically is that we identify with the character so much. This one really (laughs) hits home, doesn't it? (laughs) So – so I guess probably we should do just a, I promise not to get too, um, too comic book nerd luxury on this one, but I do think for anyone who doesn't know who Spawn is, it's an interesting character because Spawn for all the many things he is and isn't kind of is this flagship character for the new age of comics that was starting in the nineties. And it's weird because Spawn marks the start of a new age but spawn is really part of the old age that the new did away with it's very strange um spawn is the creation of a guy named todd mcfarlane who we mentioned about a month ago created the character venom um and todd mcfarlane had this very uh very public and not entirely amicable split with marvel comics where he took a few other big names from the industry at the time and started what is today image comics which I would argue is where you find the highest quality comic books being written today. Um, it's certainly where all of the indie stuff is. It's where all the creator owned things come out of. And the big character that launched this line, um, even though he's been completely dwarfed by some of the things he helped launch, um, the big character was Spawn, who is, to put it simply, um, a, a, a he's basically a servant of Satan who went rogue and decided to be sort of a good guy, but mostly an anti-hero. Uh, did I did I do that justice? Did I do it succinctly but correctly? 
I think that's a good lengthy elevator pitch. Like it's 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 short, but it's detailed. It's good. You got it right in there. I think Todd McFarlane is kind of like I want to tread carefully here because I don't I don't want to you know anger the masses of Todd McFarlaneites. But I feel like is it fair to say he's kind of like a poor man's Frank Miller, where he's his moments of brilliance are amazing. He's familiar enough within the broader circles that almost everyone knows who he is and his high points are almost unparalleled, but then also it's at the same time, it's like after spawn and venom, then what? So I feel like he's, he's kind of got that Frank Miller status ish. What do you think? I think that's a really good analogy. I've never made that connection. I I think that Todd McFarlane is just such a fascinating guy. And I use this phrase a lot in the venom episode and I'm afraid I'm going to overuse it again tonight, but style over substance. Um, And I don't even mean that as an insult um, I just mean it as a, as a, a criticism in the sense that I'm trying to look at it critically and, and analyze it that I, I really think that Todd McFarlane is an artist first and a writer second. And when he acts, and as I think both, that's, I think that's alongside the contextual piece that you mentioned that spawn was birthed in the nineties. I think those two things go yeah. hand in hand, Like it's not to say that spawn is bad now because he's not spawn has had an incredible run and clearly there's still enough fodder there to say, we're going to throw millions of dollars towards a movie, but we'll get to that. But I feel like I, I feel like that spawn is so nineties that that may be the only reason spawn has still survived at the same time. Like he's, he was perfectly conjured at the right place at the right time by the right person carrying the right components. And it doesn't necessarily matter that he's not as, as nuanced or deep as some of his counterparts, but because he was a nineties child, we just roll with it. And also because it was such a one change of pace for the type of main characters in comics that I feel like we just kind of written that. And I, we're not really tired of it, which is fine with me. I think there's a place for spawn at the big kids table and um, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I I'd agree with all that. I think that you really nailed it. Spawn really embodies an era in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, if you try to make that character today or maybe even five years before they did, I, I don't think it takes, but yeah, right time, right place. And now we've got ourselves an icon. So um, and for better or Boom. worse, one movie soon to be two. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's do it. That is so, um, spawn the movie 1997 <laughs> picture this <laughs> a, a young boy 10 years old who who is starting to discover the glory that is comic books and knows that he enjoys superman but was looking to dive into something a little bit darker he goes to the local video store yes ladies and gentlemen the local video store mm-hmm. back when those things existed oh my goodness gracious i probably had pogs in my back pocket too i know i had a backpack <laughs> full of them at the house he goes down to the local video store with his father because he's only 10 years old and it's too far to ride on his bike so far he goes down to the video store with his father and convinces his father to let him rent the r-rated 1997 gem spawn movie and there was probably a good three to four year run where that movie would be categorized by this kid as a great movie now (laughs) By all intents and purposes, Spawn is not a great movie, but because of this, it holds a very special place in my heart, and re-watching it this week, I had a mixture of glorious fist-pumping nostalgia and also a good mix of holy what? 
<laughs> and I, I just don't know any other way to explain it other than that. Jake, explain to me how you got exposed to this movie. Can we can we first just uh, you know pour out a surge for the the long lost video rental store industry and uh, mm. like can I mention how this is my old man moment. I'm legitimately get sad. off my lawn. Yeah, get off of that lawn. No, I I'm legitimately sad that I will never get to take my children to Blockbuster after church and say anything you want, kids. And like that, that was gonna be the dad moment for me. And I really don't know what to do to win my children's love now. And it, you know, parenting is just so much harder than it was in the '90s. Um, but all that aside. I caught this movie. I couldn't tell you how old I was based on, I can remember the room I was in though. And because of that, I can tell you I was somewhere between sixth and, and eighth grade. Um, I, I was somewhere in that middle school range, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And I remember in the summers, um, in my, my, I, you know, bedtime got a lot more lax and I normally took advantage of this to watch, uh, God help me, I'll admit it, WCW Monday Nitro. Um, and hey, hey, that's not admitting it. That's waving your flag proudly, my we friend. We are going so deep into so much shame from the 90s tonight. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but I remember like my brother who would normally stay up with me was younger and he'd fallen asleep. And so I was just hanging out watching TV late because I had just gotten a TV in my room, which was super cool, and was flipping channels. And I, I caught this thing and I knew about Spawn because I like comic books, but I'd never read a Spawn comic to that point. Um, and I, I watched this movie and I remember thinking the whole time, I don't think I love this, but here I am still watching it, you know? And it was uh, it was a fascinating experience. And when it was done, I wasn't like, I didn't hate the movie. I didn't love the movie. But I was just like, hmm. Well, that happened. Okay. Um, when it's on, I sit through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so rewatching it, I, I rewatched it last night. Um, and I, I hope I should have texted you to see if you knew. Um, turns out it's on Hulu. So uh, I didn't have oh. to pay the two ninety nine to Amazon to watch it. I did um, not know that. Yeah, my bad. Should have let you know. So I think I owe you no like two dollars now. But um, it's actually ninety nine cents. I rented it for ninety nine cents on Prime because I didn't check Hulu first because I'm a noob. Mm. Um, well, I I only yeah the the machine told me it was on Hulu, so I cheated. But yeah, it was a really fascinating experience. Had I not been impatient with my 14, 15 year old self, I could have just held on to the DVD copy I had of it. Uh, way back in the day, but eventually along the line, I got rid of it. And clearly, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. That was a mistake. You owned a DVD of Spawn. That's amazing. I owned the DVD of Spawn. I did. I owned the director's cut, dude. The what did did like four small people take it from you to throw it back into the fires of Mount Doom? How'd you lose that thing? <laughs> I'm pretty sure what I probably did was. Um, I, at one point, a couple of different points, because my, my DVD Blu-ray collection is rather large. Like we're talking board, almost 700 titles large, and it takes up a whole wall in my basement. So, I, But there have been a couple of times over the years because I've started collecting my movies by the time from the, like 12 years old. So it's 
it's been a long run. There've been a couple of times where I've gone through and have been all like, okay, there are just some movies I don't want anymore. And I haven't watched in literally years. So I take them to like the secondhand store and get some cash, but I haven't done that since like college. So that was probably when I got rid of uh, the spawn DVD. But that, knowing that I had it means I've I, I can comfortably say I've watched that movie at least five times, which is four times more than anybody else that has ever seen the movie. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it at least three at this point, I think. So so <laughs> so I mean, let's talk about this thing because I, I gotta tell you, I and I don't mean this as, as a shot, because you you what did you call it? Like horribly awesome or something like that, or awesomely horrible. Like it's one of those it's so bad it's good things where I think my biggest regret last night is that I watched it by myself and I exactly. wish I could have it's had awesome, some people with me. It's an awesomely bad movie. It's just a, it's a fun evolution because clearly when I was 10 years old and started watching this for the first time, I thought the movie was dark and creepy and sinister at the time. Yeah. I didn't know any better, but I was 10 years old. I was 10 freaking years old. That's my reprieve there. But now I'm I, – I, and and not having watched it again since I was probably fifteen or sixteen years old, so we're we're got a long period there. I'd say that I felt the same way, where I could only categorize this movie as awesomely bad. The nostalgia factor was just because I had a history with this movie, but not many people do to that degree. So clearly, it's some bad movie where it's just high quality enough that it's worth gathering droves of people to watch it so you can enjoy the experience of watching it alongside others but it's not good enough to a point where i mean when was the last time a couple of people did a podcast about the spawn movie like <laughs> you know what i mean so we're breaking we around all over the place i kept last night i kept looking for the silhouette of the two robots and the guy like i felt like i was watching a mystery science theater movie without the commentary on um, mm -hmm. it just had that feel. Cause it's like, I don't know. Cause there, there's, first of all, you can see somebody made an effort on this thing as I think what might be the problem. If no one else, the casting director, um, because you've got John Leguizamo who, you know, I mean, it's not like that's ever been a name knocking down the door at the Oscars, but you know, we know who he is. And, but hey, I will say. He's a legitimately underrated actor, and he's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. nominated for a. And he's actually nominated for the award this weekend for his work on Broadway. Um, he's, oh, I did he's not know that. And he's ridiculously versatile. But this this budget was forty million dollars, which is kind of a lot of money for nineteen ninety seven, and having yeah. no precedent of superhero movies in the in the previous decade. Well, and Martin Sheen is in it in what's probably the second biggest regret of his life, right after Charlie. And it's like, it's just such an interesting thing. And it's such a bizarre look into, I don't know, maybe, I don't even want to say what could have been because I don't get the feeling this was going to launch a franchise or anything, although they clearly leave the door open for a sequel. But on the Liguizamo part, I kind of, I, am I wrong to say that like when it was him doing his thing, Minus the really bad fart jokes, I, I kind of enjoyed myself last night. Like, no way, I brought it. Yeah, like, I, and I don't remember liking it, but I remember I was sitting there last night, like, oh my gosh, like John Leguizamo as the clown, the violator, kind of works. Holy cow! You want to know why? I thought about this because I had the same feeling where I was like, Leguizamo is literally the only portion of this movie that I could say is 
flirting with legitimate. And I think it's because he is the only portion of this movie that is actually written with any sort of dynamics. Mm. There is seriously think about it. There is actually no conflict for um, Al Simmons in this movie. Like, oh yeah. Not, <laughs> There, there, there's no there's no central conflict in the movie and there's really no growing action and there's no points of like growing towards something or swelling towards something it's literally just a few scenes that were really good individually that they just spliced together it was basically like it was it was this, it was, it was as, as if the script was in treatment form and they just filmed the scenes that were in the in the 10 to 20 page treatment and they put that together to the producers and said this is a taste of what we could do but then they're like ah eh, just call it a movie <laughs> well in the, you know you're right because like Al Simmons in this movie Spawn it, I, I was watching it and I was like, oh man, he's pretty all in on like, you know, screw everybody. I'll kill anyone to get my wife back, even if it means serving Satan. I was like, man, I don't remember the journey from that to anti-hero. And it's because there wasn't one. Like there was a well, set and there was, change. And so and he had a motivation even, change. And there wasn't even really much of a motivation for the the, the uh, getting my wife back thing either because they barely even touched on that just in a couple of fleeting flashbacks. They didn't establish anything. Like, yeah, they, I think I think clear, a couple of things happened or a few things happened. One, if you go on Mark A Z D Pay's IMDb page, he's the director of this movie. This was his first directing job, and then you'll see everything else he's done has been basically like animated children's things. So, like, <laughs> clearly he 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 missed his shot. Two, the people who wrote this movie had no earthly idea. Or three, the bigger portion of it was the production company said, in and out in 90 minutes, no, that's firm. <laughs> Can't expand that whatsoever. Because clearly, everything that was lacking in that movie was either alluded to fleetingly or could have been infused in there had they just had an extra 30 to 40 minutes to play with. But we didn't have that standard in 1997. Like, of course, Avengers Infinity War was two hours and, you know, 59 minutes right on the nose, and we're <laughs> fine with that. But in 1997, it's like, we need a hard 90 or you're not getting any money. Yeah, no joke. Man, yeah, but it, I, I just... I think you're right. And I think also like Leguizamo, like it really does feel like there was some thought put into that character and, and it wouldn't it have been the easiest character to phone in and the whole thing. He's Satan's lackey. So obviously his motivation is doing bad stuff and, and the motivation isn't super deep. I'm not trying to claim that this is, you know, like uh, this isn't moonlight we're talking about here, people, but at the same time, uh, you know, at least on the clown, we see, this effort to manipulate people. There's this Machiavellian thing going on. There's this, you know, satanic clown. I'm going to be evil, but in sort of a twisted way, funny. And so there's at least this bare minimum of a character that exists there that I don't think you could accuse anyone else in the movie of being. You've got your, your cardboard cutout villainous government type. You've got, you know, spawn who is going to kill because why not kill? And you've got the damsel in distress and the best friend. I mean, that that's pretty much the cast. And I think I think they're taking a and this isn't formulaically speaking, is formulaically a word? Well it is now. I believe it is. So, rock on, boom. Formulaically speaking, they were 
they were attempting to take a note from a good book, which was the Burton Batman movies. Cause mm. they follow if, if from, from the clown perspective of spawn, the Burton Batman movies do the same thing. You watch Batman and Batman returns, both very good movies in their own right. And I would say Batman returns is in conversation for one of the greatest sequels in all of Hollywood history. Cause it's just remarkable and better than the first one. But both of those movies stand on their own as phenomenal films in, in their genre. And both of them are driven by the big name actors playing the villains who are way more interesting than just Batman. So Jack Nicholson as the Joker, and then Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Walken, and Danny DeVito as the villains in Batman Returns. Like that's what Spawn is doing. Because at this point, Michael Jai is not really doesn't really have much of a career and um martin sheen isn't like the real engaging portion he's just supposed to bring a little bit more credibility to the overall to the overall project john leguizamo is supposed to be that hook that says movie because you kind of like the idea of comic books on the big screen spawns kind of this anti-hero bit and then you leave going like holy crap that clown character was just absolutely amazing that's what they were going for and so like i don't begrudge them for trying to take that note but even though he was the brightest spot of the movie that's not saying much yeah yeah and that's just it i mean i i, I walked away like you know raving in my head about the clown and then i gave myself a reality check and i was like okay all right calm down there psycho because being the best part of this does not necessarily make it a brilliant performance and it's it's not a bad performance and i'm not trying to knock it and i think if i'm gonna be real I, i'm gonna say i have a weird and i told my wife this morning i was like man that movie's so much worse than i realized but at the same time i have a weird affection for it um, just cause it occupies this real niche. And I think you nailed it with the Batman comparison as far as the Tim Burton ones, just because it, it does feel, especially in the alley and when he's brooding and considering, you know, when he's like back in the lair mm-hmm. trying to develop his spawn powers, it definitely has a Burton Batman aesthetic to it. Um, I would be I remiss how the whole time. I just kept thinking the whole time that it looked and felt like both the Burton Batman movies just in production design and then also yeah. um, because of the campiness of it felt very much like the 90s flash show that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We can't get into that again. We don't have the hour. But um, <laughs> we did screw up by not talking about Mark Hamill. I'm going to admit that. Um, <laughs> but, the uh, you know, I, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge – the only part of it that I don't have fond feelings about in spite of it is the computer animation, uh, the special oh, effects. Lord. When oh, he Lord, like, is it bad? Oh, oh, God. oh, and you like, you think, you think, you know how far special effects have come in 20 years and you have no idea because you're comparing it to things that had a, budget and people who were sober and this is not that i mean because i mean i guess they had a budget but they clearly did not put it into that because it's like when spawn descends into that what was it a ballroom or something uh his first big appearance as spawn in public and the cape is everywhere oh boy that was bad oh i, I will tell you i like 
I, I may become a victim of recency bias just because I watched this movie within the last 24 hours again, but it's like, I don't know if I've come across a more staggering discrepancy between eras of special effects than what I saw in spawn. Like that, that, that may be, uh, maybe a better way to say is that that may be the, the single, the single example of special effects that has aged the worst as yeah. time has gone on that I have ever seen in a movie that, that relied heavily on special effects. It was bad. And what your specific comment about that, that ballroom crash through, I actually wanted to mention that because what made me so frustrated with that is that could have been, even with the movie being bad, that one moment could have been an epic moment and oh, that still yeah. could have survived. You know what I mean? Like that, that one moment where he crashes through the stained glass ceiling and comes down and makes that grand entrance and goes after Martin Sheen. Like that had the makings of being a, a YouTube worthy moment. Yeah. That one certainly had some potential that was lost there. I just, you know, for anyone who's never seen, and maybe you don't want to spend the dollar to see the 90s spawn film. Think of like all of the hated computer animation scenes of, of history. Like imagine if the monkeys from Indiana Jones four lost a fight to the agent Smith's from matrix reloaded and you've got a basic idea of what spawn would have looked like with a more competent production team behind it. It's boy, the special effects are bad. I feel like the flash Gordon movie and it's, and it's can't be special effects that for it's time period age is better than spawn clearly trying to go the CGI route and just falling flat on its face. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and I guess here's the, here's the problem I always have with bad special effects. Um, and, and I know that I'm, I'm going to a, a worn out thing here, but you know, the original star Wars comes out in the late seventies and it, it doesn't always look brilliant, you know, in hindsight, but it ages well and it can still draw me in as a 32 year old and immerse me and convince me for at least in some part of my brain that these aliens are real creatures. And, and it, without the money or the capability that they had 20 years later with Spawn, it can create a more believable universe full of more fantastical things than Spawn could for its 30-second scene of him crashing down into a room. And I think for me, that's kind of the standard is like, if George Lucas, who cats out of the bag, was not as brilliant as we once thought, if George Lucas could create that in the 70s, why can't you do it 30 years later, 40 years later, 20 years later? And maybe that's unfair of me because I know Star Wars is a gold standard for a lot of it's people, myself included. It's not It's not unfair. It's not unfair at all because, I mean, the first Matrix movie only came out a year later, and that was like – light years just visually speaking light years on a completely oh. different level than spawn so you want to talk really about holds up man um so i do want to say um oh what was i going to say i totally lost what i was going to say oh okay yeah so if if anything else there's these crappy special effects we can maybe a credit to this isn't confirmed i'm just saying i drew a connection and i don't know if these two things are linked but clearly spawns cape and all 572 yards of it 
um, completely computer animated. It is 100% um, added on after the filming. They used that concept in the Man of Steel movie. Um, if you if you listen to any of the commentary or look at any of the behind the scenes footage or any of the test footage or anything like that, you'll see that um, Henry Cavill wore his bodysuit, but it didn't have a cape attached. And they added the cape digitally later. And I think it put, I think it was put together pretty well seamlessly. And it was I, I really liked that touch of it in the movie. I don't know if they got that inspiration from Spawn, but I can tell you I haven't seen it anywhere else other than in Spawn. Oh, it's really interesting. That's not a connection I would have made. Good work. Yeah. Boom. There. My sleuthing is done. Yeah. All right. So enough enough memory lane with occasional dumps to be taken on it. I, unless you've got more you want to say, what are your thoughts on this upcoming Spawn reboot that they've been threatening us with for two decades and is now happening? Yeah. So few few things i'll just throw out here and then you can run to however you'd like um number one they did the right thing in getting a big name tied to it to help ramp up the the hype for it oh yeah uh, J- jamie jamie fox is signed on to play al simmons and spawn which is great this is this is what you have to do um even the ones that have flopped have even have done this well the, the superhero movies have done this well we're like this is the formula you've got to get somebody of note to play the lead role. So they've done this and Jamie Foxx has enough of a, of a storied career that is versatile, that you can see that he has all these components. He knows how to do funny. He knows how to do drama. He knows how to do action. He knows how to do random. He knows how to do crazy. He's done all of those things at a fairly high level throughout his career. So that's probably a pretty good call. Number two, I think this is the biggest kicker. Blumhouse Productions. Yeah, I cannot overstate how important it is to have the right kind of people overseeing your project. Now, Blumhouse typically tends to be lean on the budget side of things. Like they made Get Out for just over five million dollars. I'm not suggesting that Spawn is going to be the next Get Out because Get Out is literally a once in a generation type of a film. But Get Out was made for $5 million, is all I'm saying. And that's from the same production company that Spawn has been tied to. Um, then the last thing is Todd McFarlane is going the, once again, to reference Frank Miller, he's going the Frank Miller route. I think one of the biggest turning points, not just in comic book cinema, but in all of cinema, was the first Sin City movie. And we can talk about that on another podcast. But one of the reasons that the first Sin City movie was so remarkable, visuals aside, was the fact that they gave Frank Miller so much control over that movie, even though he was virtually unproven in the cinematic realm. He wrote the script, and he was co-lead director of that freaking film, and that movie is darn near perfect. Todd McFarlane has stepped in and said, the only way Hollywood will ever get another chance to touch my opus is to allow me to have creative control. So he is writing and directing. Now I'm hoping he's got enough uh, uh, producers and assistant directors and a crew around him that will help him really sculpt the kind of visual look he needs to have to to break down the actual framework of filming a movie. But man, I I'm encouraged by this. Yeah, I think the the caveat for me with um, Todd. Todd and uh, the Frank Miller connection is my fear. Cause, cause I, 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 
man, what do we got to do to do a Sin City episode? What excuse do we need? Because I just want to, I just want to watch that again now. Um, but we do it this summer. We might as well. Yeah, there's going to be some downtime somewhere in here. Um, the the thing about Frank Miller is that it, it, he it's so confusing his brief film career there because it's Sin City is so perfect, and then he does the Spirit, which is it's just trash. kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it, you're right. It's trash. Yeah, it's real. It's not a good film. And um my fear is I guess my hope is that Todd McFarlane is uh Sin City and my fear is that he's the spirit. Um mm. but but the Blumhouse connection is pretty significant for me. Um I I had I will be honest that while I have those fond memories of um, the, you know, that, that sort of rose tinted glasses for the original movie. And while I have this almost academic appreciation of Spawn's place in the history of comic books, I, I don't know that, that uh, I'm trying to be careful here. Cause do you ever really need a comic book movie? Um, so with that caveat, <laughs> um, I don't know that we needed another Spawn film. And I don't know that this was necessarily a thing that a lot of people were kicking down the door to get a hold of. But when you tell me that Blumhouse is attached and that the concept, because I, I read this um, when the Jamie Foxx announcement came out, I did a little bit of reading. Um, and if, if I could remember exactly which article said this, I would I would cite it. So I apologize to whomever might be listening that was attached to that. But uh, the concept from what I'm reading is that Spawn is going to be more of a boogeyman who is not seen a lot on camera and lurks in the shadows and that the real character work is going to be done with the people around him and the real humans that are being affected by this heaven and hell war that spawn is a part of. And, and I look at Blumhouse and what they've done over the last decade and the way that they have, you know, in some ways revived and redeemed the horror genre and in other ways elevated it from where it even was before that. Um, and that's not to say everything they do is brilliant, but a lot of what they've been attached to has been, really good stuff um in context and some of it has been get out and that they would be attached and have this very specific vision for it and this very fascinating new take on it is really interesting to me that todd mcfarlane who is kind of a notorious tool sometimes um and who will you know is very protective of this character that Todd McFarlane feels it's being handled correctly after 20 years. I think that there is reason for optimism. Um, and I think that this is one, and we talk a lot about the, you know, adaptation versus just cut and paste what happened in the comic. This is one where I think they should probably feel free to get a little bit away from the source material if they want. You know, I mean, I don't know. Are there any, are there any spawn villains or storylines that you're particularly dying to see here? Or I'm going to be honest. I, I, I'm not completely well-versed enough in spawn to say, yeah, like, I, I really would like for them to bring some underbelly out here, but here's what I'm encouraged by is um, there's an article on nerdist.com that is talking about this movie and has some quotes from McFarlane and McFarlane says, 
um, the scariest movies from Jaws to John Carpenter's The Thing or The Grudge or The Ring, the boogeyman doesn't talk. It confuses people because of the comic book industry and because all of their defaults are for Captain America. And I keep saying, no, get into John Carpenter's mindset or Hitchcock. That makes me really happy because that yeah. means he's he's exploring the nuance. He's exploring the different ways you can be sinister and frightening and engaging and action-packed that it's beyond the paint-by-numbers approach. He also says that he claims to have been uh, – to wrote – to written the script for this movie with Jamie Foxx in mind. So he's, he's already out here doing the dog and pony show saying this is the perfect marriage. We've done it. It's happening. Now let's get this thing rolling. Um. If you're if you're not familiar with Blumhouse Productions, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of some of the higher points that they've made. Um, so they're responsible for the Paranormal Activity movies, which have a massive cult following, and the very first one was pretty legit. Yeah. Um, they also they also produced Whiplash, which is what kicked off Jamie and Sizzle's career, and is one of the best movies of the last 15 years. Um, oh my gosh, I love. They, I just have to stop you. I love whiplash so much sorry go on it's a darn near perfect movie it's so good um they also did the purge movies which is kind of in the same vein as paranormal activity really huge followings um they did get out they did um and then they did the last two m night Shyamalan movies that didn't suck they kind of resurrected his career the visit and uh split so they've they've got They've got experience with doing the thriller, the horror, the outside of the box creativity, the breathing new life into the genre. They know what they're doing and they're not afraid to do it a little out of the ordinary too. All of this is good stuff. I think – I'm not even necessarily worried about the script because nobody knows Spawn better than Todd McFarlane. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I think, it, I think it's just going to come down to one – are they going to give enough budget money to this movie? Because I think the largest budget that Blumhouse has given out is $10 million. And they've only done that a couple times. And two is Todd McFarlane going to know what he's doing behind the camera. Yeah. I, um, I think you're spot on with all of that. I, I, I just, to, to just touch real briefly again on the Blumhouse thing, I'm looking right now at, you know, some comparisons of the budget versus the amount of money that it made and um, there's a lot to be said for, you know, and, and, and I love, I think you do more than I do, um, but I love a good, just like underappreciated, critically acclaimed film, right? Like, well, like Whiplash, frankly, you know, a movie that not everyone I know went and saw, but that everyone who did see it adores it. Um, there's also a lot to be said for just understanding what people want to see and giving it to them. And I think mm -hmm. Blumhouse has refined this to an art where they can come in and they can say, we are so in tune with, with what is going on in culture. We're so in tune with people's tastes that we can turn $4.5 million into 255 million. They're saying we can give you a $5 million investment and make at least a hundred million off of it. Most of the time, you know, they've got a few flops on this list. I'm looking at, you know, not everything comes out to those margins of, you know, 5 million turning into a hundred million, but, but more often than not, they know what they're doing and they know how to make something that people like. I, I don't, 
I didn't bother seeing all, I want to say, five or six Paranormal Activity movies. But I know people that every time one of those things was coming out, was right. they were right there, ready to go. And Completely. Yeah, they, they know what they're doing. They understand entertainment, you know? And, and I don't know that... I don't know that Spawn is going to be the next get out, um, you know, as much as we're all looking for the next get out. And I agree with you. I don't think it's out there. I think it's a, a unique thing. Um, I, I don't think this is it, but I do think this is something that has a great deal of potential in their hands. Um, and, and I think I, I'm inclined to think that Todd McFarlane will know what he's doing. I, I want to be hopeful on that. Um, can I ask you, because, okay, I, I got to preface this question and where I want to go with this conversation by saying that I think Jamie Foxx is incredibly talented and his name attached to anything makes me more excited to see it. My question to you is, however, is Jamie Foxx, the, is, is that brilliant casting? Is it just okay casting? Is it bad casting? And I'll get into why I ask that after I hear your answer. Yeah, so um, to be completely honest, I think it determined it depends on what Jamie Fox you're getting. Is he going to mail it in, or is, or is he yes. actually committed to the project? Um, because he's got enough on his record to show that he has a little bit of a track record of mailing it in on certain projects, and it shows, and it's bad. I don't know if this is going to be one of those. I hope we get the um, Django Unchained and Any Given Sunday type Jamie Foxx and not the Miami Vice Jamie <laughs> Foxx. Well, and, and so where my brain goes with this is – Attaching him to a comic book project again, I, I am something of an apologist for the Amazing Spider-Man films, which regular listeners will know. Um, so this is not necessarily a shot at a film that has taken more shots than it deserves. But I didn't – I actually did not love his Electro. I loved some of what they did with it, visually speaking. I loved some of the moments that the character provided. I, I wasn't a huge fan of his his take on the character. And a lot of that for me comes back to, again, I'm, I'm over, I'm over saturated with this. I, I spend a good amount of my leisure time reading up on comic books and things related to it. And Spider-Man is my favorite. So I am devouring most things Spider-Man related. Um, so I see more than I think the average viewer would, but in the interviews and in the the press tour stuff leading up to that film, Jamie Foxx just seemed so ambivalent about being there. He seemed sometimes he felt like he was just messing with people with some of the answers he gave. Um, he would alternately characterize Electro as a very powerful character. Um, emotionally, who was very sure of himself, and then talk about how Electro was really this, you know, down on his luck guy, which is a little closer to the truth of what we got in that film. And it was just all over the place. And he said he would just make comments that it felt like it felt like he was talking about a different movie sometimes. And the common thread became that thing that you just mentioned. Sometimes you get a different Jamie Foxx. You don't always get Django. And and I really so like I Jamie Foxx. I just worry. And I, 
And I don't, yeah, I worry. And I don't know if, if that particular example was because he was a victim of an overcrowded script yes. and he knew it and he mailed it in and he was disappointed. Or if it really was just Jamie's here to collect a paycheck. I don't yes. know, but I think that's, there, there's enough of the Jamie, you just missed it, man. There's enough yeah. of that in his dossier to make you go like, mm, maybe, ah, you know, you make me feel so much less crazy saying all that because I, I was concerned <laughs> that I was going to bring this up and you were just going to be like, oh, my gosh, Jamie Foxx, the greatest. And, you know, he's gonna, he's going to do amazing things. He's going to act so well. You're going to pee your pants. And I was ready to be like, well, I guess I'm an idiot. So you're making me feel less crazy by saying all that because, again, I'm not I'm, I have no problem with this casting necessarily. I just get a little nervous about, like you said, which Jamie is showing up. It's going to be interesting to see, but they're clearly following the formula the right way at the beginning, at least of the of the pre-production stuff. So ultimately here, Jake, before we close out, just give it to us. Are you in or are you out on this one right now? Like, are you are you all in? Are you saying we're go- you're doing it? You're looking forward to it or are you still a little apprehensive? I, I am mostly in. I think, um, you know, I, honestly, the Blumhouse thing has got me at this point. They could tell me that they're casting Keanu Reeves as Spawn, and I'd say, boy, interesting choice. I look forward to seeing what they do with that. Um, so I- I'm in. I want to see it. Rock on, man. I'm right there with you. I'm actually – I would say I'm probably like an 8.5 out of 10 on the excitement level. I, I am legitimately excited to see a high-quality um, rendition of Spawn on the big screen. I just – I feel like we need it. That's that's where we're at. Um, but – that's that's it for our podcast, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this week. We're going to be coming at you next week with some more good stuff. But hit us up on the Twitters at Watch Comics Pod with an X, um, and we want to hear from you. What do you think about the upcoming Spawn movie? And also give us your riffs on the John Leguizamo as the clown because let's be real, we can't get enough of that either. We we kind of secretly, not so secretly, loved it. Yes. So we'll hit you up next week. <laughs>